pray together. Father, thank you for blessing us with another beautiful Lord's Day and a house in which we can gather to be the house of God, to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we're reading about you here in your word. And so with all our hearts, we pray that you will speak to us through your word that you will minister in hearts, some that they may, for the first time ever, believe on you and be saved. And for others who've believed a long time, may they be refreshed and quickened in their faith in you. So accomplish your purposes in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, We saw that Jesus has been teaching and healing, and a great crowd has gathered around him. The crowd was numbered from how he fed 5,000 men, and so doing a little math, we said there must have been a crowd of about 20,000 people following Jesus, hearing his words, and and then he fed that crowd. Then the next day, the crowd got a little bit thin. Some people went home or whatever, and Jesus is offering them food food for their souls. And we stopped at verse 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Like that meal yesterday, that free meal, that was good bread. Where do we sign up? We want a subscription to this so that every day bread like that gets delivered to our tables. Give us this bread always. And then this is what comes next. Here it is, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So this is the first of seven of Jesus' great I am statements in the Gospel of John. There's actually an eighth, but it's in a category of its own. I'll take the first seven. In the first seven, it's I am, and then there's a predicate. And here, in this case, it is I am the bread of life. But I want you to see all seven of them. Let's just take once here while we're in John chapter 6 and group together and work our way through briefly. i got to be brief here. All seven of these. They're they're tantalizing. You want to talk about every one of them just so you can see them all. And these, each of them is pregnant with meaning, weighty and profound, outrageous if he is not God in the flesh. And here they are. Number one, I am the bread of life, John 6. Two times he says that. I am the light of the world, John 8. Have you seen the light? Has he opened your eyes? Next, I am the door of the sheepfold, John chapter 10, two times. Have you come in through the door? Next, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10, two times. Are you in his flock? Is he shepherding you? He's a good shepherd. Next, I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. Have you been raised to newness of life with Christ? And next, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14 highlighting Jesus' teaching of the exclusivity of his own truth claims, of his own gospel. And finally, number seven, I am the true vine from John chapter 15, two times. We abide in the true vine. We keep on believing. We keep on following. So Jesus is all of these and way more. 
I don't know who searched this out. I don't know who computed this, but we are told there are over 200 names and titles for the Lord Jesus found in the Bible. That's how rich he is. That's how much it can take to describe him. Like, I have three names, Stephen Ray Hartland. That's it. Nobody's ever given me any other name. But there are, there are 200, over 200 names and titles for Jesus, and we love every one of them. And these, in particular, are absolutely outrageous if he was not God in the flesh. If he were not God of very gods in human flesh standing before them, if he uttered these words and wasn't God, he was a megalomaniac or an extreme narcissist, maybe the most evil person ever on the planet, if he was not God in the flesh. And we're looking at one of these today. But there's one more. There's, there's an eighth of Jesus' I am statements that does not have a predicate. I have to tell you, the truth is there are several others that don't have a predicate, but in the others, the predicate is implied. Are, are you here? And he says, I am, and the he is implied. But there's one where there's no implied predicate. It's just, I am. You know what chapter that's in, right? John chapter 8. We've got to look at it while we're on these I am's. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, ego me." I am. And of course, you know, that is the great name by which God identified himself to Moses and to the people of Israel back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, well, when I go to them, who do I tell them sent me? And he said, you just tell them, I am sent you. Identify me by that name. And Jesus here takes up that name, and it's like he says, yeah, you know that great name for God, that revered name back in Exodus chapter 3? Yeah, well, that's talking about me. I am that God. That was me that day talking to Moses. That's what he's saying. And he's claiming that he is, therefore, the self-existent one. The theologians have given us a term. It's a good term, so I'll show it to you. There's going to be a quiz on the way out today. You don't get out with it if you don't have the answer, so just kidding. That sounds gross. You, you can get out, all right? But you ought to use this word 10 times during lunch today, all right? See if you can do that. It's the word aseity, which means self-existence or the characteristic of being self-derived or self-originated. So aseity, 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 10 times during lunch today. This is what Jesus is claiming when he says, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. But back to our verse, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, the bread of life. I am the bread of life. We'll look at that right now, and then we'll get to, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But right now, we're, we looked at the I am part, and now we're going to think about the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And this is the theme that runs throughout the chapter. Jesus, of course, is the most amazing teacher the planet has ever known, and he used this pedagogical technique often. He really pours it in in a number of ways in this chapter where he says something and then he repeats it and then he repeats it and then he repeats it and then he restates it and then he repeats it and then he reframes it and he does it over and over. He does that with this bread. He's working the bread theme throughout the chapter. Let me just show you that quick. Verse 32, he is the true bread from heaven. Verse 48, 
He says, I am the bread of life. Verse 50, he says this. He's pointing at himself. He's referring to himself. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 55, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Verse 58, this is the true bread that came down from heaven. Wow, what a lot of repetition, repetition, repetition. Because it drives the nail all the way in. It drives the truth all the way down tight in our souls. And so Jesus is likening himself here to bread. But why does he do that? Why is he likening himself to bread? Why is he using this as a teaching tool? Hey, think of me as bread. Well, he's talking about bread because in part in that culture, bread was an absolute staple of everybody's daily life, right? Everybody ate bread. So I'll just let you in on a little secret. It doesn't matter. So right now, Debbie and I are about one month into a paleo diet, and neither one of us has had any bread for about a month. We're surviving, Although every now and then, just joking, one of us, like on a Friday night, will say, let's go get some bread. But we don't. So we're doing that thing for a while. So we're without bread right now. But usually, you know, these humans did not spend a day without bread. And bread communicates what is necessary for your life. Bread is the sustenance you need. Bread is what gives you life. It keeps you alive. And more importantly, another reason why Jesus is using bread to illustrate his own character and qualities is this. The whole discourse revolves around bread because what has Jesus just done? What has he just done? He just multiplied bread and he fed the five or 20,000. And they were supposed to reason from that miracle. The miracle was called by Jesus a sign. Well, what is a sign? A sign points to something else that is the reality. And the reality of the bread, the, 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 the sign, the bread was pointing to the reality, which was Jesus Christ. Feeding the 5,000 should have pointed them all to him. And the 5,000 should have said, wait a minute, we got bread from you. Thank you very much. But we know now you're from God. We want you. We fall down and worship you. We want to follow you. We find our hearts going out to you. They wanted bread, and they're all talking about bread, and they've got bread on the brain. And it's like Jesus says, all right, you're interested in bread. You want to talk about bread? I'll talk about bread. I'm the bread. That's what they should have been understanding. I'm what you need for life. I'm the only thing that can fill you. I need to be your sustenance. You need to be seeking me, not bread. You're not jumping from the sign to the reality, folks. I'm the reality. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. So he's the true bread, the bread of life. This reminds me, by the way, of the time back a couple chapters earlier in John chapter 4 where you have the woman at the well and they're talking about water, 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 water. He grabs the object lesson and he's driving a point home and, he, and at a certain point in the discord, she says, sir, give me this water so I won't have to come here and draw anymore. <laughs> Same thing. We want, give us more bread forevermore. Give us more water forevermore. And look how Jesus answered her. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, lady... 
And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. Here's what you would have done. Here's what you should have done. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But all she was thinking about is, man, it'd be cool if I didn't have to walk out here to the well anymore with a pot on my head. Can you give me this water always? Same thing here. Let's go back to John 6, 35. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread. You guys should think of me as bread. Y'all should think of the Lord Jesus as what you need for your life. He is your sustenance. He satisfies not the hunger of your belly, but the desires of your soul. Jesus satisfies and feeds and fills hungry, thirsty souls. You've got to have a hungry, thirsty soul before you ever come to him. You won't see your need for him if you're all filled and happy. So it is good for you sometimes that you're afflicted that you may seek the Lord. But now notice the promise. It's in that verse, same slide. Here's the promise. He identifies himself. I am the bread of life. And now the promise. Whoever. This doesn't make any big difference. I'm not trying to make any big point here. It's a little point. But I want you to know the Greek is not quite whoever. The, the Greek is the one who, the one who is coming to me. So he wants us to picture a one. There's one. Let's just fix our eyes on that one. And that one is coming to Jesus. Now, what can be said is true about that one? What is true about that one? And whatever is true about that one will be true of all the other ones who will come to Jesus. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All right, let's look at the phrase, whoever comes to me, the one who is coming toward me. You notice it's parallel too. It's identical in meaning almost. There are nuances of difference between the latter phrase and whoever believes in me. Whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me are two ways of saying the same thing. When you believe on the Lord Jesus, you come to him. And when you come to the Lord Jesus, you believe. So he's describing the same thing from two slightly different vantage points. They're little nuances of difference, but they're used interchangeably by Jesus. So Jesus here talks about those who come to him. This too is repeated. I want you to see it. He just repeats so many things again and again in the chapter. So we're thinking of Jesus talking about people who come to him. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, verse 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me, the Son. Verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So there's much in John chapter 6 that is about. Jesus is teaching about. Jesus is interested in that you would come to him and that you would believe on him. But the one he really repeats is the come to him part. You see, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you also in his own words, come to him. You come to Jesus Christ. We hear people talk about, well, he had his come to Jesus moment. Well, that's right. You need to have one of those. You need to have a real, a real for real come to Jesus moment. And you come to Jesus. In other words, 
When you believe, there is motion in your soul. And that motion of your soul is going to Jesus, or from Jesus' advantage, you are coming to him. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, you are also coming to Jesus. There's a motion in your soul. In other words, you cannot take his gift of salvation, but stay far, far away from him. No, if you believe, and when you believe, you must and you will also come to him. There you were before you believed, all dead in your trespasses and sins. There you were, far from God, far from the covenants of promise, far from the word, far from the Lord Jesus. But then God drew you and you came near. There you were, cold and indifferent toward him. But when you believe, you come to him, to know him, to have him, to belong to him, to follow him. Reaching over into 1 John for a moment, in the King James Version, you're there to sup with him and he with you. Sorry, that's the book of Revelation. To sup with him and he with you. And what is this whole-souled movement toward the Lord Jesus called? What's one word that's repeated again by the apostles over and over again for their salvation preaching, their salvation message? This is repentance. This is when you turn from your idols to God, to await his son from heaven, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, is to turn to him. And I'll just take this moment and ask you, have you turned to Jesus Christ? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus and have you turned to him that you might find everlasting life? Remember he said, which the son of man will, will freely give you earlier in the passage. He told you to work for the bread that endures to eternal life, which I will freely give you. So when he freely gives you life, he also turns you and you turn. And you now live facing him. You now live toward him. You have now come to him. You have repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see many of these people wanted the bread, but they did not want Jesus. They did not come to Jesus. They didn't reason from the bread, the sign, to the reality and say, wait a minute, that's just bread. He's bread. We need him. Have you come to the Lord Jesus? There's nothing more important in your entire life than that you would come to the Lord Jesus and believe in him. Now let's go on and look more at the promises. Same verse, John 6, 35. We're kind of soaking what we can out of this verse today. And we read, then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, here's the promise, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me, here's the promise, shall never thirst. So there are the twin promises, and they both need, mean the same thing. If you come to the Lord Jesus... Something will change in your quality of life. You will no longer hunger. You will no longer thirst. You say, what is that? Is this a new divinely ordained biblical scriptural weight loss plan? I'll never hunger? Is that what Jesus is offering here? Or is this a divinely issued camelback and a bottomless subscription to Gatorade that shows up on my door every day so I'll never lack hydration? Is that what he's talking about? 
No, we all know he's not talking about that. He's saying, if you believe on me, I will feed your soul, and I will hydrate your soul. And though life on this planet might be rough, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God, yet I will always satisfy your soul on the Lord Jesus. My friend, is your soul satisfied on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he bread for your soul? Is he drink for your soul? And Jesus says, this promise is, whoever comes to me shall not, not might not, might, I hope they won't, no, it's a shall. You have it from the Son of God, who if you come to Jesus, whoever, the one who's coming to me, shall not hunger, and the one who believes in me shall never thirst. Some of you here today or some of you listening online may not yet be followers of the Lord Jesus. We're so glad you're here, so glad you're listening. And you might wonder, hmm, I'm thinking about becoming a believer, but if I do, I want to know what will that look like? What will happen to me? What will it do to me? What are some of the benefits that will accrue to me? Well, there are many, but Jesus is telling you about some right here. Your soul will never hunger again. Your soul will never thirst again. You'll have a well-fed and a well-hydrated soul, a perpetual, never-ending, bottomless food and drink for your soul. That, my friend, is the very best thing available on this planet. And look back at verse 27. It is free. The Son of Man says, which I will give you. Jesus wants to give it to you. So I, Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life, and then he gives this promise, the one who's coming to me won't hunger anymore, and the one who believes in me won't thirst anymore. Now, what about the crowd? Remember there were 5,000 men, so 20,000 people yesterday across the sea who were all gathered there following him because of the food because of the kind of sign he was doing. And then the crowd got thinned out overnight, maybe just natural attrition or whatever, or maybe some turned back. But there's a remaining crowd. We don't know how large. How are they taking this? Again, picture. They are standing eyeball to eyeball with God. God in the flesh is right in front of them. They are looking at him. They have seen him perform miracles later in the chapter. They have heard him speak words of eternal life like no man ever spake, King James, before. This is where they are. They're looking at the God-man Jesus Christ, his miracles, his amazing teachings, and Jesus is he's angling, he's pleading, he's fishing for their souls. What do they do? They're standing right there in front of him. Next verse, it's awful. John 6, 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You have seen me. Who's the me? It's God in the flesh. You have seen me and you don't believe? How hard are fallen human hearts? How blind are shut, closed human eyes? How dead in trespasses and sins? You have seen me, and yet 
do not believe. By the way, by contrast, I don't have the slide for this. Later in John 20, verse 29, Jesus says to doubting Thomas, remember him, unless I see the the, the, the hole in his side, and unless I see the prince in his hands, I'll never believe. And Jesus appears to him, and, the, and Thomas believes, and Jesus says to him, John 20, 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And that's you, my friends. The Lord Jesus is talking about you. All who would come along later and believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved, never having seen him in the flesh. He says, they're blessed. You're blessed. But here are these people. Look at verse 36 again. They've seen him, and yet they did not believe. Now, here's where the text is going to go next. Jesus is going to teach them. He's doing evangelism. He's a fisher of men. He's teaching his disciples how to fish for men while he's doing this. It's OJT. It's on the job training. Watch how I do this, guys. Here's how to evangelize. We evangelize like Jesus. He got it right. And he's just told them, y'all are seeing the Son of God and miracles and words of life, and you're not believing. And he's going to explain that now to them theologically. He's going to explain to them, how can it possibly be that you can stand there in front of me and not believe. Or let's put it another way. He says, you have seen me and yet do not believe. But some of them believed. How come two people, let's make it a husband and a wife, both creatures created as the image of God, and they go and they hear an evangelist clearly, plainly, biblically preach the gospel, and the wife is moved to the depths of her soul and cries out, Lord Jesus, save me. And her husband spends the whole time counting everything possible in the room to count. I'm going to mention something that's going to ruin sitting in this room for you forever, like counting all the triangles on the walls. Don't. Some of you are obsessive. Now you're going to have to count the triangles before you leave. I'm sorry I did that to you. You used to be counting these holes in the ceiling tiles. We don't have those. Counting all the lights in the room. Calculating. Count, how many rows are there? How many, how many chairs are in the room? You're just occupying your mind with anything but God's word and the Lord Jesus. How can it be that two people, same room, same word of God, same evangelist, her heart is moved to Christ and his is cold as stone? That is what Jesus is about to explain. And his answer is not what some of you are expecting. This is a tough Jesus answer. Remember last week we talked about tough Jesus? He's pretty tough in this passage. This is a tough Jesus answer. His answer is not what some of you are expecting. In fact, it's rather stunning. It's very striking. I'm not sure you're all ready for this. It's strong stuff. Why aren't they believing? Here's why. Verse 37, the next verse. Here's Jesus' explanation for why they're not believing. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Wow, that's not what we expected. We might have expected Jesus to differentiate between those who believe and those who don't believe and rooted in other causes. 
But Jesus says, this really goes back to my father. And Jesus is teaching us, I think, about the sovereignty of God and human salvation. Now, I know there are different views that Christians hold on this whole matter, and there are different views represented in this room, and I want to remind you that at Cornerstone, we've agreed these aren't fighting it. We're not going to fight over this. You're welcome to have a different view and be here. We'll love you. You can still be involved in this and that and serve in the other way and all that. So you don't have to agree with how I'm going to understand John chapter 6, but since I'm preaching it, I have to agree with how I'm going to preach John chapter 6. So if you have a different view, just consider this one and... I think it is faithful. In fact, I can't get out of John chapter 6 without any other understanding of the teaching of the Lord Jesus. I know what some of the other views are, and I refreshed my memory on them this week, and I read other people with different views, but they just don't carry the, the day for me. So Jesus again says, John 6, 37, this is how I explain the fact that you're standing in front of me eyeball to eyeball, hearing the words of life, seeing the miracles I perform, and yet you don't believe. Here's why. Because the only ones who believe are the ones who the Father gives me. And they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In other words, note the order. First, they have to be given by the Father to the Son. Some point, we don't know how, we don't know when. Eternity passed in the everlasting counsels of God. The Father said to the Son, out of all humanity, here are the ones. There's a group. It's not the whole group. Here, I give these to you. And then what will happen? They will believe. So in the order of the Lord Jesus, the Father gives them to the Son, and then the Son assures us that when they hear the gospel at the right day for their hearing the gospel, they will believe. They will. There's no, I hope they will. There's no, well, I've done everything I can possibly do, but now it's left to them. No, Jesus says, you have to understand there's a group the Father's given me. They are going to believe in me. And he says a lot more about them in the rest of the chapter, which I'll show you for a moment. And I think it's four or five times he says, and I will raise them up at the last day. In other words, I'm a complete savior. I get them from the first day they call upon my name clean into heaven. I don't lose one of them. I will raise them up at the last day. So this, my friends, is the sovereignty of God and human salvation. And Jesus is teaching us that this is why those people aren't believing in him. They are not among that group given by the Father to the Son. Or at least, if they are among that group, it's not their day yet. It's not the day of God's power. And as long as they're still alive and still breathing, it's still the day of grace, and they still might come to Christ, and they still might believe. Nobody's stopping them. Nobody's holding them back. But notice again what happens to all the ones who are given. Look at the verse. All that the Father gives me will Come to me. That's repent. They'll turn to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my God. And all who come to me, I will never cast out. Ekbalo is the Greek. I'll never throw them away. I'll never say, well, you disgusting example of a Christian. I'm so sick and tired of you. Out. No, no matter how bad we are, and sometimes we're pretty bad. He says, I'll never throw them away because the Father gave them to me, and I will keep them. So how come that one believes and that one not does not? And Jesus, and later Paul, and later Peter, and later others, root it in the sovereign prerogative of Almighty God. 
Let's cross-reference Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Why is Jesus teaching in parables? Because they're not understanding. And the disciples are even asking, why don't you make things clear? Why are you teaching in these parables? They don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus answers Matthew 13, 11, and 13. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables. Sometimes Jesus spoke in a certain way to reveal to certain people, and other times Jesus spoke in a certain way to conceal from other people. This is why I speak in parables. Now, Jesus is going to go back to John 6. He's going to give us some more explanation. Like, how can they stand there, hear him, and remain cold and stony and distant? Verse 38. For, he says, I have come down from heaven. And that's repeated again and again and again in the passage. Not to do my own will. I don't have some Jesus will separate from the will of the Father. The will of the Father is with reference to those he gave me. No, I have come down, Jesus says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Now, you see the picture here. The Father gave these people to the Son. They will come to Christ. They will believe on him. Jesus says, I won't lose one of them. See, it's up to him as the great shepherd to get them to the last day safely, to get them to the last day believing in Christ. And if, he, if, if the Father gave him, let's say, 48 gazillion people, he's not going to show up at the last day and say, wait a minute, I lost one. What happened? No, no, he, he assures us, I will not lose one of them. This is the will of the Father, but I will raise it up on the last day. Again, John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father, that I should, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So let me summarize for you what Jesus is teaching here in this passage. Try and make it more understandable. And remember, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I have to agree with me. And I ask you to just consider. So, next slide, slide, ma'am. In the passage, we see that there are people who are given to the Son by the Father, verses 37 and 39. Also, they are the ones who will believe in and come to Christ, verses 29, 35, 36, 40, and 47. Also, Jesus, from the beginning, what beginning? John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the... From that beginning, Jesus, from the beginning, before any humans are even created, knew the identity of those who would not believe, which implies he also knew the identity of those who would believe, verse 64. And those given to the Son by the Father will come to the Son, verses 35, 37, twice, 44, 45, 67. This is, by the way, what theologians call effectual calling. God has a divine Holy Spirit, Word of God, tractor beam, if you will, by which he draws them in, and they come. And next, it is granted to them by the Father to come to Christ, verse 65. 
And again, verse 45, it says of them, they are all taught by God and they have heard and learned from the Father. Why are they believing the Son? Because they love the Father, because they have hearts for the Father. All who have hearts for the Father will now, while Jesus is standing there and ever since, believe in the Son. And what's this taught by God part? This is Holy Spirit illumination. Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah, where God through Jeremiah predicts the days of the new covenant. We are in those days. He tells us of some characteristics of people and life in the new covenant. And he says, they shall all know me from the greatest to the least of them. And inside the new covenant, no man shall teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord. You don't have to evangelize others who are in the new covenant because they've already come to Christ and they've already believed every single one of them. And it talks about them being taught by God, same thing here. Also said of them, verse 37, Jesus will not cast out any of them. This is grace. Also, Jesus will not lose any of them, verse 39. That is eternal security and the perseverance of the saints. They will keep on believing and following. And finally, Jesus will raise every one of them up on the last day. Verse 39, verse 40, verse 44, verse 54. This is security and perseverance. He will get them all safely into heaven. And all of this is in chapter 6. So how do I want to summarize? Well, this is Jesus' teaching. Believe it. Believe on him and be saved. Believe what he's teaching about the sovereignty of the Father and human salvation. Believe him about, well, here's why some believe and some don't. Just believe. Just take it at face value. Please don't bring some preconceived notion or idea to the text saying, well, I can't believe X, Y, or Z. No, just let the text speak as freely as it wants to and believe what's in the text. That's rightly handling the Word of God, in my view. And Jesus taught the sovereignty of God and human salvation, explaining to the unbelievers in the crowd why they yet remain in their sins, why they yet remain in unbelief. However, all that the Father has given to the Son will come, and we don't know who they are. So there's hope in evangelism. Evangelizing your friend, evangelizing your family member is not a fool's errand, like, well, nobody's ever going to believe it seems like nobody's going to believe. Oh, no, people will believe. Who are they? Those that the Father has given to the Son. We have every assurance. We don't know who they are. There's no stamp on their back. We can pull their shirt up. Oh, that's one of those, and that's one of those. No, there's no stamp. So we're to preach the gospel to every creature, and who's going to believe? Those that the Father has said, Son, get them into heaven and raise them up at the last day. Seems to be the teaching of the text. And I will just tell you, one of our four sons is not a believer, neither is his wife a believer. We were over there yesterday and had a wonderful time with them and their new baby, number 13, a boy, Heartland 13 grandchild. And I have to stay my soul with this. I am more committed to the will of God than I am to my desires for my son. You following me? You understand what I'm saying? So that I trust God and bow to God and bless God and submit to God. God is sovereign, even over my son's salvation, which gives me hope he may yet choose to open blind eyes and quicken a dead heart. So this is what Jesus teaches. Mr. Wallace, it's your time. Come on up here. By the way, Mr. Wallace is preaching for you all next Sunday.
Yay. Looking forward to that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage, and we pray that all who hear it would believe in the Lord Jesus and come to him in repentance and faith. So many of us have, and we pray, our Father, that you would help us to live with joy, knowing that we have the bread of life and we have the waters that nourish our soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our bread. Thank you for being our water. Thank you for for giving your flesh and your blood. We gladly receive you and seek to follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen.